In Milwaukee, a black police officer shot a black man who attempted to flee from him while carrying a stolen gun and then turned on the officer. Riots have ensued. Meanwhile, in Baltimore, the Department of Justice has declared the city's police department, which is majority minority with a heavy concentration of black officers, racist. All of which raises a question. The hell are police departments supposed to do? The left has created a catch-22 for itself. While rioters declare their intention to target white Milwaukee residents and scream about black power while burning down a gas station, the media maintain there's no racism here. It's just a response to generalized police racism. But if black people are incapable of racism, what do leftists say about black police officers who they then say are actually racist? There are two possible reasons why the left can claim that black police officers are capable of racism, but black protesters and black rioters aren't. First, leftists can claim that black police officers aren't really black. They, like black Republicans, have been corrupted by the racist system. German Lopez of Vox.com, he wrote, ba- he wrote this back in April. He said, quote, racial bias isn't necessarily about how a person views himself in terms of race, but how he views others in terms of race, particularly in different roles throughout his everyday life. And systemic racism, which has been part of the U.S. since its founding, can corrupt anyone's view of minorities in America. Policing tactics can also create and accentuate personal subconscious bias by increasing the likelihood officers will relate blackness with criminality or danger, leading to what psychologists call implicit bias against black Americans. Combined, says Lopez, this means the system as a whole, as well as individual officers, even black officers, by and large, act in ways that are deeply racially skewed and potentially racist. Kind of convenient logic. Police departments make black officers racist against blacks. But what Sheriff David Clark terms the ghetto mentality doesn't generate black racism against whites. Reversed racism, Lopez says, is impossible. Then there's the second possibility. Black police officers aren't turned into racist by police departments. Police departments are actually just the enforcement mechanisms for a racist society. That's the perspective of former Obama green jobs czar Van Jones. He once told me in a CNN green room that black Americans jump to conclusions about cops because, quote, You're Jewish, right? Wouldn't you jump to conclusions if you heard that the Nazis or Hamas had killed a Jew? Really, he said this. In this view, American society is irredeemably racist. Those who wear police uniforms are just brown shirts out enforcing that racism. All of this is super dangerous. It would explain also, by the way, why looters and rioters attack shops owned by black Americans. Those shops are just tools of the evil racist capitalist system holding down blacks. If the entire system is corrupt... Any instrument of the system must burn from cops to gas stations. One thing is certain. The conflict between cops and black riders, it won't be calmed by additional police training. It certainly won't be calmed by politicians continuing to push the myth that police are racially targeting black men for no reason. The only way such conflict will be calmed is, ironically, the only way the left will never tolerate. Stronger, more prominent law enforcement and cooperation with local communities. And the left will never allow that. And so the racial conflagrations will continue. Black Americans, of course, will be the ones who pay the price. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, so we have a brand new advertiser we want to talk to you about, FrameBridge. Okay, this is a fantastic company. Yeah, I am a person who spends a lot of money on, on frames for photos and posters. I have lots of memorabilia in my home, lots of signed memorabilia. And it's always baffled me why frames are so expensive, and it's so inconvenient to get them. You go somewhere, and you, a frame will cost you $400. You know, you'll, you'll have a poster that costs you 50 bucks, and it costs you three, dollars $400 to frame it. Well, there's a new company out there called FrameBridge, and FrameBridge is just terrific. I mean, you go to FrameBridge.com. What you do is you pick out the frame that you want, or you let their designers help you choose the frame. You can preview your, preview your item in any frame style. They send you a prepaid package, and you can actually ship your picture to them. And you can, or you can upload a picture to the FrameBridge app, and they'll just print it out on their end and, and put it in the frame. They guarantee that your, your stuff won't be damaged. Uh, the expert team, they custom frame your item in days. It doesn't take weeks or months. It's days. And then they deliver your finished piece directly to your door, and it's ready to hang. They offer what they call their happiness guarantee, and their team gives each item personal care and attention. And if you don't like what happens, then you obviously uh, you can sound off. Instead of all the hundreds that you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at 39 bucks, all shipping, is free. Right now, if you go to framebridge.com and you use promo code BEN, you'll save an additional 15% off your first order. That's framebridge.com, promo code BEN, framebridge.com, promo code BEN. Use the the promo code BEN because that lets them know that we sent you, and then they're more likely to continue advertising, which makes it possible for us to put this show on the air and keep incompetent boobs like Mathis and Austin employed. So if you really want those people to have jobs and not be living off your tax dollar, then you need to go to framebridge.com, promo code BEN. Plus, it's a great product. I've used it myself, uh, and I can vouch for, for the quality. It really is great. You, your Instagram costs 39 bucks to frame small photo, 59 bucks movie poster, 139 bucks. All of this is really, really affordable, and they're experts in the field. Okay, so 
We have a lot to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. In just a second, we're going to bring on Stephen X. Crowder, Stephen Xavier Crowder. We're bringing him on momentarily. You may know him from Louder, for Crow- Louder with Crowder. That's his website. He has all these videos that are hysterically funny. He's a comedian, but he's actually more than that. He's a very good political commentator. Um, and, uh, and so he'll be joining us momentarily. We're also going to be talking about Trump's big foreign policy speech and, uh, and a special episode. We're going to bring it back. We're going to start doing Deconstructing the Culture again, uh, which is where we take a piece of Top 40 music and we analyze it for all of its variances, vicissitudes, and volubility. So we will we will do all of that coming up. But we're joined right now by Stephen Xavier Crowder. Stephen, you there? I am here. I'm sorry, I look like a, a bum post gym. I was doing a callback to when I first had you on my show, and uh, this was primetime propaganda. And I had just come back from the gym, and I got so many comments about it. I figured let's let's go with it. I mean, honestly, I, I wish I could tell the difference, but unfortunately, uh, I am yeah. incapable of doing so. So uh, <laughs> that was a layup. I knew it going it, into it. Yeah, so, you, you kind of right. see that one coming. Well, you know, you throw the softball, you got to hit the softball. Okay, so Stephen, you got a new you have a new video that's coming out in a couple of days. I just want you to preview that a little bit. What, this is kind of a different style of video for you. What what is it? Yeah, so we created the Citizens Coalition for Common Sense Gun Reform, CCCGSR for uh, short, and uh, we actually had to get permission from the mayor. We had to hire local police force. We had to get all kinds of permits to to set up a tent with over a dozen firearms, actual firearms, unloaded on a table, and created these these petitions for people to lobby the government for sensible, common sense gun control laws. And the goal is not like you know a lot of these gotcha videos where it's just they're so stupid, but how gravely concerning it is that people know nothing about firearms and you and I know this as firearm owners, mm-hmm. but are so quickly willing to give the reins over to government to control things about which they have no idea. So so this is, an, it's going to be a longer video, probably 15, 20 minutes, because we wanted to jam pack in there for the viewer all the things they may not know, like what a semi-automatic is, what an assault weapon is, what a clip is versus you know the actual term of magazine. So little pop-ups kind of like VH1, those shows they do, so people can can get everything they need to know about the current uh, current gun debate, because you know, as we go into a very likely Hillary Clinton presidency and Supreme Court, um, th- the language really matters. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and I'm glad that you're doing that. Actually, Stephen's videos that I like the best, folks, are the ones where they're heavily informational. His Detroit video, if you've never seen his, his video where he goes to Detroit and just walks around the city and looks like the zombie apocalypse, it's an amazing video. And so uh, if you if you, uh, if you you want to take a look at his video, that'll be out in a couple of days. And obviously we'll, well push you know it up on our page. what's funny about that video? I don't know if you ever saw the, the follow-up video where my producer, not Gay Jared, and I drove through Detroit. I don't know if you ever saw that no. one. It wasn't as viewed because, well, because it's long and unedited. Mm-hmm. But what happened was the first video went up, and you know, Ben, they go, well, it's just selectively edited. Well, anything you've ever watched ever is selectively right. edited. If they uploaded a video, they selected a start and end point. That's an edit. That's a selection. Right. So, uh, you know, the context of that selection matters. They said that about Detroit. They said, you're not showing the good areas. So we followed up. A lot of people didn't watch this video where uh, my producer and I went into Detroit, downtown. Okay, we said Renaissance Center, Tiger Stadium. These are the big landmarks and we drove out in three directions unedited GoPros surrounding the car. We had a time clock and Google Maps to show you exactly how far we went. And we set the clock. It didn't take more than a quarter mile or two minutes to get to certain deaths once you drove out of the hipster <laughs> tourist destinations. And you still had people going, well, it's not really fair because Detroit sucks. Well, that's my point exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of Detroit sucks, I mean, another city apparently that sucks is Milwaukee. And you've got the entire left basically ignoring what's going on in Milwaukee this week. Uh, even though Milwaukee has turned into a garbage heap, hasn't had a Republican mayor since 1908. Uh, you know, what, what do you make of the media's absolute willingness to ignore what's going on in Milwaukee right now? I mean, it would be front page news. If, if white mobs were chasing black people down in the streets in any city in America, obviously that'd be front page news on every newspaper in America. You literally have black mobs shouting, get the white guy, and nothing. Well, it does, it does happen with white mobs yelling angrily at black people. It's called a Packers game. So that does happen. <laughs> Not in Milwaukee, a few miles down. Um, I just retweeted this, by the way, that we're up. I, I completely forgot. Listen, I was in Milwaukee for a wedding about... Oh gosh, what was it, Naki Jared? Three weeks ago? Something like that? Three, four weeks ago? Yeah, something like that, maybe. About, about three, four weeks ago. And... Uh, I remember, this, you know, it was exactly during the Dallas shooting because mm-hmm. I was sitting in a Milwaukee hotel bar going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And people saying, man, if that happened in Milwaukee, it is just this is a hair trigger here right now because it's Milwaukee, right? One of those Midwestern towns, heavily black. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And what's even funnier is that, well, I, 
yeah, it is funny. I'll say it's funny that ju- that they don't want to send their journalists in. Now they're pulling mm-hmm. them out because they're getting attacked. Well, what'd you expect? And here's what's going to happen, right? They're pulling them out because they're getting attacked. Black people, they're the Black Lives Matter, who, by the way, don't represent all black people, but we're talking right. about Black Lives Matter in this context here, saying, well, they're not they're not telling our story. They're, they, they always tell the same thing, white people. And then what's going to happen is all the journalists are going to leave, and it'll be like that criminal in Cobra, you know, pig, bring the cameras in here, because he wants to die in the spotlight. And mm-hmm. they'll be mad that no one's covering them, and they'll say it's because we're black and no one's telling our story. They came there to tell your story. You shivved them, okay? You <laughs> mugged them. They left, and then you're going to bitch about that. There's no way around it. It, it, it is amazing. Okay, so there, there's another topic I wanted to ask you about, because you're in the world of comedy. Uh, Stephen does stand-up. He actually does tours that people pay him for uh, to, to do comedy, unlike most of the com- conservative comedians who are basically just people who once told a joke that wasn't very funny and people laughed because they went to church with them. I have a joke about that. Okay. Well, yeah, did, I have a, I have a, do you want to hear the story first? Can you, can you hold that question? In your, I can in hold your the head? question. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I showed up one time at one of these functions, and uh, there was this guy who had showed up like to two of my events to open for me, which I thought was weird, but you know, sometimes when you're with some kind of organization, they sort of pass people around. And of course, I was being paid and traveled out there, and I found out he was paying his own way, and he had three jokes, and it was just this I don't want to say the joke because he'll know I'm talking about him. It was an awful Hillary Clinton joke that basically was about the fact that she was fat and uh, was the callback was to Sir Mix-a-Lot. And when I finally found out, I was like, why is this guy opening for me? This is like comedy death. And then they were like, well, he's great. He pays his way. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it is frustrating. <laughs> I've, actually, <laughs> I've actually put all of it on the back burner until uh, probably next year because we're building a new studio and, and, and set. But uh, yes, my background is comedy. Sorry, go ahead with your question. Okay, so the question is, they just got rid of, uh, of that fellow whose name I've already forgotten on Comedy Central. Larry Wilmore, Larry Wilmore. Larry yeah, they, they just got rid of Larry Wilmore, who's legitimately comedy Ebola. I mean, he, he just, every, every time he approaches comedy, he infects it, and the comedy just starts crapping out its bowels and bleeding from every orifice. And they got rid of him on Comedy Central. Orify, Orify, Orify. It's not spelled F-U-S, dude. It's I-C-E. No, I it's know, not. It's Orify. I, I okay. know, In I any know. case. Don't correct the Harvard grad. Stop it. So, the, I, so I, Orify. I won't correct, but I'm just saying it doesn't sound right. Okay, so so in any case, he his first his first claim is that even though he sliced the ratings for Comedy Central literally in half since he took over that show, this was just a way for Comedy Central to to unblacken itself. What do you make of the future of comedy? Because I don't have a lot of hope here. It's becoming so politicized that there's nothing that's funny anymore. I don't even know if I would use the word future. Also, something I love for people listening right now or watching Ben Shapiro, he takes a point that someone would take, which would be less intelligent, because they would say he's literally comedy Ebola, and Ben just needs to change the word and say legitimately comedy Ebola, and it works, and it's no longer inaccurate. So please, take note. Um, I didn't know he was doing the whole black thing. I mean, listen, they have him, they have Trevor Noah, uh, and then you have you know, you know have at TBS, you have Samantha Bee. Here's the deal. I've always said that Jon Stewart was funny. I think Stephen Colbert can be funny. I think Conan O'Brien is one of the best comedic writers in, in, in mm-hmm. decades. I think he's absolutely hysterical. I really do, and I know he's far left. Um, I think Samantha Bee is so... It's a, I don't use the word offensive. She is offensively unfunny. Yes. She is aggressively unfunny. <laughs> Larry Wilmore was kind of inconsequential, so I don't even think about him enough to have an opinion on him. That's probably why he was fired. Here, here's the deal with comedy. I was talking about this with Andrew Clavin. Um... A lot of the time you see this with reporters, even if you watch cable news, right? They go on and, well, uh, Hillary Clinton wants open borders. Donald Trump wants a wall. Which do you prefer? They're just sort of taking people who are smart enough. I know this sounds conspiratorial. Mm -hmm. Smart enough, good enough, but they can control. You know this and I know this, right? We work in the media. They want people who play ball. I'm not saying there's some puppet master pulling the strings, but they do pick people who they know are going to be easier to work with. And with comedy, if you're a great comedian, you know, if you're like a Nick DiPaolo or a Bill Burr, or Joe Rogan, in 2016, you go off and you do your own thing. You yeah. make more from doing a podcast. You get to directly interact with your audience. Um, you don't need to, to, to kowtow to network executives. And the people who are still right now, it wasn't the case when John Stewart was there. It wasn't the case when Bill Maher was there. Mm-hmm. But now the people who tend to be put in those positions aren't necessarily the best comedians. They are the ones who are willing to play ball. Case in point, look at SNL. You could fill those slots with people from YouTube or from the podcast world. Now, there's a lot of hacks. You and I, there's oh, just so yeah. much trash on the internet. But but you and I could probably, I mean, I certainly know I could go through and go, okay, here are 10 people who would be better to fill those spots on SNL, yeah, right. but 
they probably wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Well, the, the, the website is Louder with Crowder. Stephen brings out fantastic material every single week. He has his podcast, and his podcast is the second best podcast in the conservative sphere. Uh, and it's a very highly well, viewed. Clavin won't be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, Clavin knows what I think of him. And come on. So, 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 that's it. so check out. Check out Louder with Crowder, a great site, and Stephen's a real entrepreneur. He's been doing this all himself, basically on shoe gum and his talent, um, and uh, there's not a lot to work with there. So obviously, check out louderwithcrowder.com. That's the place you want to be. Stephen, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All righty. So on to the political sphere for just a moment before we have to cut off the Facebook Live. Uh, so I, I want to give you something that, that makes up for the fact you had to listen to Crowder for 10 minutes. So here's the. So we'll start with uh, with actual comedy. We'll start with Joe Biden. So. It must be beautiful to be a Democrat. It must just be wonderful to be a Democrat because you can get away with pretty much anything in the world. And Joe Biden is proof of this. So Joe Biden is vice president of the United States. And unfortunately, everybody knows that Joe Biden is a dum-dum. Everybody knows Joe Biden's a moron. And so Joe Biden is able to get away with anything because no matter what he says, no matter how stupid, people just go, oh, that's Joe. That's Joe. You know, that's just Joe being Joe. Okay, yesterday, Joe Biden is campaigning with Hillary Clinton. And Joe Biden campaigning with Hillary Clinton decides that it is worthwhile to attack Donald Trump for not being safe with our nuclear security. And here's what he does. Someone who lacks this judgment cannot be trusted. There's a guy that follows me right back here, has the nuclear codes. So God forbid everything happened to the president. I had to make a decision. The codes are with me all. He is not qualified to know the code. He can't be trusted. See if you can spot the problem here. So Joe Biden says Donald Trump can't be trusted with the nuclear codes. Also, right there is the guy with the nuclear football. That guy. So if you're going to attack somebody and take the nuclear he's right there. You see him? He's got the blue eyes, the black hair. Like, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to identify the guy with the nuclear football, you idiot. But Joe Biden does this all the time. Back in 2011, if you recall, Joe Biden went out there and did an event with the media where he specifically named the Navy SEALs as the people behind the killing of bin Laden. Navy SEALs immediately began pulling down their Facebook profiles because they figured now they'd be targeted. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, there was a, there was a, a helicopter that was filled with 30 members of the U.S. military that was shot down in Afghanistan. 25 of them were Navy SEALs. And members of the SEAL families were saying, well, part Partially, this is Joe Biden's fault, but the media just said, oh, well, he's stupid, so he gets away with it. This is the beauty of being a Democrat. No matter what, if you're a Democrat, you get away with it. Another example, Joe Biden, same speech. Joe Biden says about Trump something that's utterly ridiculous. I mean, utterly unthinkably ridiculous. Look, folks, these are not isolated examples. He's even showered praise on Saddam Hussein, one of the vilest dictators of the 20th century, a man who repeatedly back terror attacks against Israel because he was supposedly, the reason he admires him, he was a killer of terrorists. That's why he likes Saddam. He would have loved Stalin. He would have loved Stalin. Okay, he would have loved Stalin. He would have loved Stalin. A couple of things here. One, Stalin, okay, the, the idea that, that Trump would have loved Stalin, I'd like to see the evidence of that. Yeah, he likes Putin. Uh, he, he said about Saddam Hussein that Saddam Hussein killed terrorists, which is not true. But I'm pretty sure that's different than Stalin, who legitimately murdered tens of millions of his own people. I mean, put like 20 to 30 people, 20 to 30 million people in gulags, killed 6 million Ukrainians through starvation policies. I mean, the idea that, that Trump would have been there cheerleading Stalin is ridiculous. What's even more ridiculous, and this is actually kind of telling, what's even more ridiculous is that it's Joe Biden saying that Trump would have liked Stalin. Let's go back in history for a second. There was only one side of the political aisle that actually liked Joseph Stalin back in the 1930s. There's only one side of the political aisle that thought that Joseph Stalin was a great leader back in the 1930s. That was the political left. That was the political left. The political left thought Stalin was fantastic. They thought Stalin was just great. There was a journalist for the New York Times who won the Pulitzer Prize, Walter Durante, for talking about how Stalin was just the greatest leader ever. He'd seen that he went to the Soviet Union. They hit him for, they hit all of the starvation from him. He said, I've seen the future and it works. Meanwhile, Stalin was out there purging everybody who disagreed with him 
bringing them out there and just literally shooting them or shipping them off to gulags. They had a room in the, in the Russian security center called the Lubyanka where the floor was actually slanted downward. It was slanted downward in the back so when people were shot, the blood would run to the back of the room and they could clean the floor. That's how many people were being shot. People were routinely being brought in and murdered in the Soviet Union. And the American left was playing nice with the Soviet Union. The American left was playing ball with the Soviet Union. The American left was saying Stalin was a new kind of leader. Communism was a new kind of ideology. Communism was something that was actually quite wonderful and warm. And so if we're going to talk about the, the idea that Stalin would, would be liked by any side of the political aisle, it would have been the left. I mean, the left still goes soft on communism. I mean, it was Barack Obama who just a few months ago decided it was imperative that we kowtow to Fidel Castro in Cuba. Fidel Castro kills his dissidents. Fidel Castro imprisons dissidents. But again, this is what happens. And it's really amazing how the left is capable of rewriting history. Yes, a little bit with the help of the right. So the left, what they'll do is they'll embrace literally the worst things in the world. The worst things imaginable. And then, after those things are discredited, they blame it on the right. So they'll, they'll they, listen, the left embraced Hitler. They thought that Hitler, at the very beginning, was a new kind of leader. He was a fascist, new kind of leader, energetic, big government. They really liked Hitler. Read Jonah Goldberg's liberal fascism for more on this topic, because it's true. And then, as soon as Hitler turned out to be a genocidal maniac, then, all of a sudden, Hitler was a right-winger. And who said that Hitler was a right-winger? Many of the people who said it were communists, members of the Frankfurt School. They decided to rewrite Hitler so he wasn't a national socialist anymore. Now he was a national conservative. He's some sort of conservative figure, was Hitler. They did the same thing with Stalin, right? Stalin was an actual communist who was backed by large segments of the American left. And now it's Donald Trump who would have liked Stalin. It's Donald Trump who would have liked Stalin. Not Obama, not Hillary. Hillary, who got her training from Saul Alinsky, who was actually a communist. right? Not, not any of the people on the left. Suddenly, it's, it's the fault of the people on the right. We're watching it happen in real time, too, with regard to Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, he's spending this entire campaign kind of playing halfsies. So he spends half his time saying things like, or the Iraq war was terrible and we murder people for no reason. And then he swivels and he says something that's quasi right wing. What the left is going to do is they're going to say Donald Trump was the standard bearer for the right when he was saying all these bad things. And, and this is what the left does. The left takes everything that it wants back, slavery, segregation, communism. They take all of these things they want back and they blame them on the country at large or on Republicans specifically. And it's a lie and it's not true. And that's what Joe Biden does there. But he gets away with it. And is he going to be asked that question? And what would have happened if Donald Trump had gotten up there and said, you know, Hillary Clinton, she would have supported Stalin. She would have. He would just would have paid her and she would have supported Stalin. Media would have lost their mind, lost their mind. But you can say anything you want about a Republican and get away with it because it's nice to be a Democrat. It's really nice to be a Democrat. Okay, unfortunately, that's the end of the Facebook Live. We even gave you some extra time. But if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, because we're posting these things on YouTube now, then you're going to want to go to dailywire.com, become a subscriber so that you can view the rest of the show and the visuals are always great. I'm amazingly handsome, obviously, and you want to see more minutes of that. I mean, you never know when I'm just going to pop off the shirt and start flexing. It's a promise that's been made, but may never be kept, but you never know when I will keep the promise. You just don't know. Dailywire.com is where you go. It's $8 a month. And come on, I mean, it ain't that much money. For the price of $8 a month, I mean, seriously, how much pot can you buy with $8? Not that much. So just go to dailywire.com and, uh, and subscribe. Also, that means that you can submit to the mailbag, and we have tons more coming up, uh, including a new episode of Deconstructing the Culture. So stick around. Okay, so... Tim Kaine is the vice presidential pick for the Democrats. Speaking of Democratic incompetence, Tim Kaine is the vice presidential pick for the Democrats. And he's, he's supposed to be the down-home guy, right? He's the guy who's going to remind you that these are human beings and not just robots. Tim Kaine went out there and he was playing the harmonica. Yes, the harmonica. This chubby dude out there playing the harmonica. Here we go. So there he is playing mouth organ, Tim Kaine, and it's just, it's wonderful. But Democrats, again, this will be, he'll be touted as just a God's gift, right? He's, he's, he's God's gift to music now. Meanwhile, it doesn't matter that Hillary Clinton, like, Hillary Clinton's doing things that are so unpalatable and insane that in any other election cycle, the candidate could force this to be covered. Donald Trump should be forcing the media to cover this. Hillary Clinton, if you recall, a few months back, we talked about it. She tweeted out, quote, to every survivor of sexual assault, you have the right to be heard. You have the right to be believed. We are with you. Right. There's only one problem, of course, 
Her husband makes a habit of sexually assaulting women. So Juanita Broderick at the same time tweeted out, I was 35 years old when Bill Clinton, attorney general, raped me and Hillary tried to silence me. I am now 73. It never goes away. And she tweeted that. Well, now it turns out that Hillary Clinton has gone to her website and taken down the portion of her website where she says that you have the right to be heard if you're a sexual assault victim. Right? They actually took it down off the website. And they refused comment about it. So they deleted the quote from the website because they know that if you say that you have to be believed, if you allege sexual assault, that makes things awkward for Bill. It's amazing. Democrats get away with this. Imagine if a Republican had said this. Imagine if a Republican had done this. Todd Akin was run out of a potential Senate seat because he made an idiotic comment about how if women were raped, their uteruses rejected the rape seed. Right? And everybody went nuts. And the Republicans stopped backing him. Hillary Clinton legitimately just took down a line about why sexual assault survivors deserve to be believed, and nobody is going to bat an eye. Nobody's going to bat an eye. Look, Hillary's so unpopular. In national polling right now, 11% of Americans, 11% say she's trustworthy. Even her own supporters can't say she's trustworthy. For example, this, this woman is running against Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire for Senate. She's the current governor of New Hampshire, and she's asked three times on CNN, is Hillary Clinton honest? Watch the awkwardness that ensues. Do you think that she's honest and trustworthy? I support Hillary Clinton for the presidency because her experience and her record <laughs> demonstrate that she's qualified to hold the job. You think uh, she's honest? She has um, a critical, um, critical plan, among others, uh, for making college more affordable. But do you think that she's trustworthy? I think that she has demonstrated a commitment always to something beyond herself, bigger than herself. Wow. After this interview, has don't. So here's this. That's Maggie Hassan, New Hampshire Senate candidate. So she's really, look, Hillary is super duper vulnerable. She's super duper vulnerable. And I've said, it, look, the polls today are just egregiously bad for Trump. Awful, awful, awful for Trump. New Virginia poll is out. Shows not only is Trump losing by 14 points in the state of Virginia, which used to be reliably Republican, he's losing among military members in Virginia. He's down eight points among the military. The military hate Hillary Clinton. Military members despise her because she despises the military. He's getting just destroyed. In, in Texas, there's a new poll out of Texas. He's up six points in Texas. Six. Romney won the state by 15 points. Six points in Texas. I mean, this is bad stuff. So what can Trump do to recover? Well, one of the things he could do is he could stay on message. He could stay on message, and that message should be attacking Hillary Clinton. I think that he's starting to do that a little bit, maybe. We'll have to, we have to wait because it's always a moment-to-moment -moment business with Donald Trump. He gave a speech yesterday about ISIS, and some segments of the speech were actually quite good. There are a couple problems, of course, because it's Trump. So, you know what? Should we do, do, do we have the good Trump, bad Trump theme still? Do we have that? Uh, no. Okay, no good Trump, bad. So, we'll screw it. We're not going to do good Trump, bad Trump today. We'll just do Trump's speech. Okay, so it's, it's Trump's speech today. So, there's some good, there's some bad in Trump's speech today. And uh, to begin with, whenever Trump reads from teleprompter, he's got kind of a catch-22. He's got the Sarah Palin catch-22. What makes him popular is his stuff off the cuff. What makes him popular is the fact he's spontaneous and says what he thinks. And that's all wonderful. That's all great. Except that he says dumb things when he does that. So we say, okay, get on teleprompter. The problem is when he's on teleprompter, he's awful. He's awful on teleprompter. And you'll see that every time he speaks on teleprompter here, it's like a third grader called into the principal's office and told to be nice. He's kind of like, he's kind of crossing his feet and he's just awkward. Trump has said before, he thinks being presidential means being boring. And so every time he tries to be presidential, he just acts boring. So you know, put that aside, let's look at the content instead of the, instead of the, the, the presentation. But the presentation ain't that great. But here's the content. Here's Donald Trump talking in, in excellent terms about the threat of ISIS and Islamic terrorism. We cannot let this evil continue. Thank you. Thank you. Nor can we let the hateful ideology of radical Islam, its oppression of women, gays, children, and non-believers be allowed to reside or spread within our own countries. We will defeat radical Islamic terrorism just as we have defeated every threat we've faced at every age and before. But we will not, we will not remember this, defeat it with closed eyes or silenced voices. We have a president that doesn't want to say the words. 
Anyone who cannot name our enemy is not fit to lead our country. Okay, 100% true. All of this is absolutely true. Again, the presentation, it's sort of like Donald Trump ate Ben Carson, but it's but it's still a uh, it's still good what he's saying, right? I mean, it's subdued Trump, and subdued Trump is kind of like subdued Tigger. You're you're waiting for him to bust loose and start jumping off trees, but still, he what he's saying here, the content is good. And he continues along these lines. He talks about the rise of ISIS, and rightly he blames it on Hillary and Barack Obama. The rise of ISIS is the direct result of policy decisions made by President Obama and Secretary of State Clinton. Let's look back at the Middle East at the very beginning of 2009, before the Obama-Clinton administration took over. Libya was stable. Syria was under control. Egypt was ruled by a secular president and an ally of the United States. Iraq was experiencing a reduction in violence. The group that would become what we now call ISIS was close to being extinguished. Iran was being choked off by economic sanctions. This Fast is right. When he goes on like this, it's all right. And then he attacks Hillary Clinton, which is great. And this is and this is good. All of this is good stuff. All of this is top 10 level stuff for Trump. And I've said this before. When he gives the speeches, whoever's writing his speeches does a decent job with the speeches. If he would stick to the speeches, run a normal campaign and let Hillary blow herself up and every so often point out how unpalatable she is, he'd be doing a lot better in the polls. Again, what he's about to say about Hillary is totally correct. Yet, as she threw the Middle East into violent turmoil, things turned out really to be not so hot for our world and our country, the Middle East in particular. The Clintons made almost $60 million in gross income while she was Secretary of State. It is unbelievable. Incident after incident proves again and again Hillary Clinton lacks the judgment, as said by Bernie Sanders, stability and temperament and the moral character to lead our nation. Okay, all very, very true. All, you know, run through with Trump's syntactical garbage, you know, the, the not very hot, not so, but, but whatever. This is all good stuff. He did drop a couple of lines that I did find problematic. There was one line in particular that I thought was problematic. It is amazing to me how many Republicans have spent 10 years defending George W. Bush's war in Iraq on the grounds that it was a humanitarian move, on the grounds that everyone in the world thought Trump had, uh, thought that, that Saddam Hussein rather had, had weapons of mass destruction, on the grounds that everyone knew that Saddam Hussein was supporting terrorism around the world. And we knew that it was, it was at the very least, it was a moral war. It wasn't an immoral war. Trump has basically channeled Michael Moore, and the Republicans are going along for the ride. Here's Trump. I mean, this is, this is pure Michael Moore stuff, what he's about to say. What was the purpose of this whole thing? Hundreds and hundreds of young people killed. And what about the people coming back with no arms and no legs? Not to mention, in all fairness, the other side, the tremendous damage done. All those Iraqi kids who've been blown to pieces. And it turns out that all of the reasons for the war were blatantly wrong. All of this death and destruction for nothing. Okay, I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's disgusting. I'm sorry, that's disgusting. Okay, it's not true that all of the reasons for the Iraq War were wrong. There are multiple, there are multiple reasons given from violation of UN Security Council resolutions to support for international terrorism to the, po the threat that Saddam Hussein posed to his neighbors and had posed in the past to his neighbors. When he says that American soldiers died and lost limbs for literally nothing in Iraq, it really is quite disgusting, and it's terrible to say that to American soldiers. It really is. And I remember a time when Republicans weren't afraid to say that. Um, but now that Trump is the nominee, I guess we're all supposed to just turn on a dime. And now Cindy Sheehan was right. Everything she ever said was exactly right. Bush lied, people died. It's, it's really, it's egregious. But that's not the point of the speech. The point of the speech is what he gets to at the end. And this stuff, again, is very good. This is my problem with Trump. Everything is kind of a crap sandwich. But in this sandwich, there's less crap and more sandwich. So... Here's Donald Trump talking about screening immigrants, and this is fine. The media is all over him about this. What he says here, I am 100% on board with. In addition to screening out all members of the sympathizers of terrorist groups, we must also screen out 
any who have hostile attitudes toward our country or its principles, or who believe that Sharia law should supplant American law. Those who do not believe in our Constitution or who support bigotry and hatred will not be admitted for immigration into our country. Good stuff. All good stuff. Everything he says there is right, and he, and he concludes on this note that is exactly right, where he says political correctness is hampering the war on terrorism. These warning signs were ignored because political correctness has replaced common sense in our society. Thank you. That is why one of my first acts as president will be to establish a commission on radical Islam, which will include reformist voices in the Muslim community who will hopefully work with us. We want to build bridges and erase divisions. The goal of the commission will be to identify and explain to the American public the core convictions and beliefs of radical Islam, to identify the warning signs of radicalization, and to expose the networks in our society that support radicalization. This commission will be used to develop new protocols for local police officers, okay. federal investigators. All, all this is good. All this is good. Okay, so, so Trump gives a good speech yesterday, right? It has its moments that are really bad. He says that we should hand over foreign policy to Russia in Syria, which is exactly Barack Obama's foreign policy. It has its bad moments when, he, when he's ripping on the Iraq war. But overall, this for Trump is a 9 out of 10 speech. I mean, overall, for everybody, it's a 9 out of 10. For Trump, it's a 9 out of 10 speech. All he has to do is stay on message. All he has to do is stay on message, which is why Rudy Giuliani promptly goes on television and blows it. Here's Rudy Giuliani. By the way, under those eight years, before Obama came along, we didn't have any successful radical Islamic terrorist attack in the United States. They all started when Clinton and Obama got into office. Um, well, I mean, there was one. You were there. You sort of remember it. This is, of course, the headline that everybody's taking away, but it really isn't the big deal. It's just the media making hay because they're looking for something they can glom onto in the middle of the Trump address. So if Trump actually provides them nothing to hold on to, if Trump attacks, then maybe the polls begin to shift. He's going to have to because he doesn't have any other choice. Meanwhile, the latest news from Milwaukee. So it, it is amazing. The, the entire Milwaukee story has been buried by the media. They're just not paying attention to it. But things continue to suck over there. There's video of a Metro PCS store being looted in the middle of Milwaukee. Here's what that looked like. And you can see these black people, these, these young black men running into a store and, and just taking things. They're, they're covering their faces so they're not arrested by police, I assume. Uh, and they're literally just taking things and, and running out of there. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, where's the, the cops are nowhere to be found, obviously. Just taking things and leaving. This is standing up to the white man, presumably. This is standing up to the, the evil white culture that has kept them downtrodden. Uh, the, the same culture, by the way, that, that same American culture that produced the store and the phones that they want to steal so that they can use, I would assume. Uh, you've got the, the, the person who was shot in Milwaukee, his sister, uh, is, is now out there saying that they should burn down the suburbs, seriously. Burn it down, it ain't going to help nothing. Don't burn it down, shit we need in our community. Take that shit to the suburbs. Burn that shit. We need our We need our weed. Okay, so, I mean, this is amazing stuff. She's this is the sister of the, of the supposed victim who is actually just a, a lifelong criminal who stole a gun and then tried to turn on the cops with it. And she's saying, burn down the suburbs, right? We don't burn down our community. Don't burn down that stuff. We need it, right? We need our weave is what she's saying, uh, which is like hair extensions, I think. Um, and, uh, and, you know, go to the suburbs and burn those down. And lefty journalists are out there saying they have to flee from the city. They have to actually legitimately flee from the city because they've been threatened by people in, in Milwaukee, black folks in Milwaukee. This journalist, I'm trying to remember his name, I think it's Tim Cast, Tim Cant. He's a, he's a lefty, Tim, sorry, Tim Poole. He's been covering the rioting and protests in Milwaukee, and he is a, he's a far leftist, this reporter. I mean, he, he was a fan of Occupy Wall Street. Listen, he says he had to, he had to flee the city, basically. 
One of the first things we hear is the crowd getting angry and saying, you know, what are these white people doing here? And you actually had a man very angrily, you know, yelling at the crowd saying that, you know, you've got to get the support from the communities outside of yours and that the anger towards the white people was a problem. But things started to get really tense later in the night when people started screaming, Fuck white people, you white people suck. Uh, a reporter that was grabbed by, by some locals and threatened and told to leave. Another instance, a reporter was smacked upside the head by a local uh, who then tried to rally people to come and attack us. And things got to the point where I started to question whether or not I should be here when I saw an 18-year-old white kid holding his neck and the police went in and extract him. This is the person we believe to be the shooting victim from last night. Locals told me that you know, they, they heard a pop there was a, what they believed to be a gunshot and saw this kid, you know, something was happening around the corner and then he started holding his neck. I saw, when I approached the street, someone lift that kid up, throw him over their shoulder and rush them inside to try and help them. And then a few moments later, the police extracted that person. There's enough people who are screaming things uh, about white people uh, and attacking, and, you know, and, the, and reporters being attacked and then hearing that it was a white kid who got shot that I think, you know, for those that are perceivably white, it is just not safe to be here, and that's why I'm deciding to leave, so. I mean, it's amazing, and the, the media are, are ignoring this. This would be front page news anywhere in America, as we let off the show with, but the media prefer to ignore it because it's ugly, and because it, it accomplishes what the left wants, which is they get to claim now that these people are downtrodden, that they've been put under by the system, so the government needs more power to rectify the situation. It's just awful, and this is why Trump should be up by 10 in the polls. If he could focus on the issues, and maybe he will start to focus on the issues, although it's a little bit late to redefine his character in this election cycle. Uh, he, he should have done it right after the convention. Instead, he decided that it would be more important to go after the Gold Star family. If Trump had any discipline at all, he'd be up in this race. And uh, this is coming as, from someone who's not a fan of Donald Trump and thinks that he's actually not conservative. The, this sort of activity is so devastating to the United States. And the fact that, that Republicans aren't highlighting this, that Republicans are instead being sucked into the media trap of responding to everything the media say, and the media are able to avoid talking about this. That guy's a leftist journalist who just had to flee because he's perceptively white. Okay, there's only one problem, by the way. He's not even white. He's half white. He's half white, half Korean. But he's white enough that it doesn't matter. They're still being he's still being targeted in a heavily black area of Milwaukee. It really is, really is awful. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate and then deconstructing the culture because time has no meaning here. So, all right, things I like. So we're doing... This week, I've decided that since we did People versus O.J. Simpson yesterday, we're going to do true crime stories that are worth reading or seeing. So there's a fantastic book. Everybody should know this book. They made a good movie out of it with uh, Robert Wagner uh, called In Cold Blood. Uh, In Cold Blood is it's, it's a classic of the genre. It really is kind of the first true crime genre, genre story. It's kind of quasi-novelesque. Uh, it's Truman Capote's best book. It's, it's a really, really good book. They made a good movie uh, called Capote about Capote writing this book also. Capote was this you know, effete, gay, New York leftist, and he, and he goes to research the murder of this family in the middle of, like, this rural family, basically over no money, essentially. Uh, and, uh, and he almost falls in love with one of the murderers. It's, it's really, it's, it's a fascinating book. Uh, the movies are pretty good. Capote's a good movie. In Cold Blood, the movie uh, is pretty good. And it does demonstrate the seductive nature of evil because everybody thinks that if they, they can sort of flirt with evil without being seduced by it, and it just isn't true. Okay, other things that I like. Uh, Joe Biden, um, he's not just stupid in, in some ways. He's stupid in pretty much every way. So here is Joe Biden getting handsy, believe it or not, with Hillary Clinton, which is just, oh, my God, have you no standards? Here's Joe Biden uh, approaching Hillary Clinton and getting, uh, getting oddly handsy with her, and you'll see she is just trying to get out of there. And then it just continues. She's like, let me go, dude. Let me go. He's like, no. I'll never let you go. I'll never let you go. She's like, Joe, really, I need, to, I need to leave. Like, I'm pushing you off. Can you get off? And Joe's like, no. No, I'm staying here forever. Can I cop a feel? And it's just, oh, yeah, 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 Joe Biden. I mean, she looks, she looks like she wants out of there worse than, worse than anything. I mean, she, she's looking for a lamp to throw at him at that point. Uh, first of all, she's dressed again. I don't know where she gets these, these pantsuits that look like she got them directly from Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But it, Joe Biden, man. Hold it together, dude. Just hold it together. Okay. Uh, time for a couple of quick things that I hate. Things I hate. Let's do it. Things I hate. Alrighty. Things I hate. So, 
Secret Deodorant has been playing this commercial during the, during the Olympics. This is one of the more irritating commercials I have ever seen in my life. We'll play it, and then I will make fun of it. <clears throat> Mr. Kendall, um, I need to ask you a favor. Not really, not really a favor, just like... Mr. Kendall, I worked on the Padstow team, actually, and we won the business. I mean, just helped. Okay, okay, Lucy. <clears throat> Casual. Bob. Bobby, how's it going? You're looking great. That tie is super sick. You know, Todd makes more than I do, and he's only worked here for two years. You know, I'm also a really great leader. <sighs> really have things... Do it. This is at three o'clock. Lucy does her part Secret to close the wage gap. Stress for women. Yeah, it's a deodorant commercial. I don't know what that has to do with deodorant, but sure. Okay, so there are a couple things about this commercial. You can't see it. It's a woman standing in a bathroom trying to convince herself to go in and ask for a raise. Okay, so a few things about this commercial. First of all, there is no wage gap. I've talked about this many times on the program before. A woman who does the same amount of work, has the same work experience, doesn't have kids, has the same level of, of outside commitment, works the same number of hours as a man, is actually paid more than men in all of the top cities in the United States. In the 50 top cities in the United States, women are paid 108% of what men are paid if they have exactly the same credentials and work the same amount of time. That's number one. Number two, did it ever occur to anybody that when they're casting this commercial... One of the reasons that maybe this woman wouldn't get the raise after asking for it is because she isn't all the things she's claiming to be. And she claims that she's a leader. Does that look like a leader to you? I mean, really, I'm just asking. Like, I'm looking at that commercial. She, her credentials are on the screen right there. You're her boss. She's coming in and she's saying, I'm kind of a leader, sort of. I'm sort of a leader, kind of. I was talking with my sister about this. My sister works at a big company. And she says that she thinks that women uh, are looked kind of frowned upon if they're, if they're too strong. People think that they're, for lack of a better word, witchy. They think that they're witchy. If they're, and I said, I think there's some truth to that. I, I'm not going to pretend that there's no truth to that. I think there is some truth to that, and that's a problem. I will also say that that exists in converse for men. Have you ever seen a weak man, like a really weak man, like a, a very shy, retiring man in a position of power? Never happens ever. Ever. Because business favors the bold. That's just the way that it works. And that's true for men. It's also true for women. We all have to work, we all have to kind of work particularly fine lines because of stereotypes, but the idea that there's a vast wage gap that has to be filled and that women can only fill it by, by you know, whining about it on commercials, it's just silly. It's just silly, okay? The fact is, again, if a woman works the same number of hours as a man and she works the same job as a man and she has the same experience and does the same things, she will be paid probably more than a man, according to the same studies that I've talked about. That was in Time Magazine, by the way. That was reported in 2010. I'm getting sick of all of these companies using leftist social, social media talking points in order to push their product, in order to push their product. How about this? How about secret deodorant should lower their deodorant prices to the same price as men's deodorant? Because women's deodorant, I believe, is significantly more expensive than men's deodorant. So why don't you lower your prices? Because it turns out I'm getting not as much deodorant. It turns out that women are getting not as much deodorant for a more expensive price secret deodorant. All right. Uh, fi a, a final thing that I hate. So the uh, – well, yeah, let's do the ESPN one. So ESPN, uh, Cam Newton is a, uh, is a quarterback for the, for the Carolina Panthers, and he was in the Super Bowl last year. A lot of people don't like Cam Newton because they think he's overrated. I happen to be one of the people who thinks he's overrated. I don't think that he can read a progression very well. I think he's incredibly athletic, but he's not one of my favorite quarterbacks. I'm also not a fan of athletes who make a huge deal every time they score a touchdown. He, of course, is famous for doing the dab, right? He does this kind of move every time he scores a touchdown. I'm a fan of sort of the Barry Sanders style of scoring a touchdown. You turn the ball over to the referee and act like you've been there before. In any case, Cam Newton said before the Super Bowl last year, he thought the reason there was resistance to him is because he was a black quarterback. Now Cam Newton has come out and he said that he doesn't think that it's because he's a black quarterback. He thinks that racism is pretty much done in American society. And honestly, he's in a pretty good place to say so, considering that the man's worth probably $100 million and is one of the more prominent black men in America. Naturally, this leads Bomani Jones who, again, is a successful black man sitting on the set of a white-owned company in ESPN. He, he's sitting there, you know, and he, and he says, no, it's just terrible that Cam Newton would say something like this.
You think Cam Newton really believed that the extra criticism he received isn't racism? I believe that Cam Newton doesn't see any value in saying that out loud at a position where it's safer to just not answer questions that are dangerous and inflammatory like this without getting everybody really upset. This is a GQ story, and keep in mind, the whole thing, once you read it, you realize Cam Newton wasn't in the, much in the mood for this interview, didn't seem to trust the writer very much, certainly didn't seem to trust the writer with this particular topic. Yeah, no, I don't believe that he thinks that the, the extra criticism he gets has nothing to do with racism. Hell, Derek Anderson said it in the story, but like Dan, I understand Cam can't necessarily say that. Derek Anderson can say it, not so big a thing. Cam says it, it goes all off the rails, and this isn't the best talking dude in the first place. You ask him to talk about something sophisticated and with nuance. Where he loses me, though, is he said, I think this country is past that. A no comment is one thing. That's a bald-headed lie. You can't say stuff like that no matter whether you want to talk to the reporter or not. Okay, you can't. You just can't say it. You can't say that this country is past racism. Can't you? Like, really, can't you say that the country as a whole is past racism? That America is the most post-racial society that has ever been created on planet Earth. We're significantly less racist than Europe. And that there are, of course, individual racists who say individual racist things, but America's past racism, the, the kind of social stigma that attaches to black folks who say that America has moved beyond racism is incredible because the pressure is always there from the left to suggest that racism is to blame for all of the problems in everybody's life. Cam Newton doesn't have a lot of problems in his life, and a lot of the problems he does have are of his own making. You know, the fact is that Russell Wilson wasn't hit with the same sort of criticism as Cam Newton. Russell Wilson's a black quarterback. He wasn't hit with the same criticism as, as Cam Newton because Russell Wilson's not the same person as Cam Newton. He's a different individual. All right. So we're bringing back Deconstructing the Culture. I've decided because it's been long enough. Uh, there's a whole new slate of top 40 songs that we have to mock. So Fifth Harmony has a new song called Work From Home. Fifth Harmony is this, this group of five girls, and they, and they sing, or at least they call it singing. And, uh, and they, they have a new song called Work From Home. We'll listen to a little bit of it and watch the, the nearly X-rated video, uh, and, which, of course, is why people subscribe. And then we will, and then, and then we will analyze. We've got, for people who can't see this, it's a, it's a very, very buff man working on a construction I site. Okay, and I'm now it's a girl who's dancing with her booty on a construction site. And a male model who's probably gay. <laughs> so, this is like a 1980s bad pornography. It's these women dancing around in, a, in basically a construction site. I don't know whose idea this was, but it wasn't a good one. The sophistication of the lyrics is really what gets me. No. Okay, so here's the actual lyric, in case you weren't paying attention because there were bodily parts being thrust in your face in the middle of this video. The, the, the lyric was, I ain't worried about nothing. I ain't wearing na-nada. I'm sitting pretty, impatient, but, you, but I know you gotta. Put in them hours. I'ma make it hotter. First of all, I'm going to. No, I'ma I'm make it hotter. I'm sending pick after picture. I'ma get you fired. I know you're always on the night shift, but I can't stand these nights alone, and I don't need no explanation, because, baby, you're the boss at home. You don't gotta go to work, work, work. Work, 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 work. You don't gotta put in work, 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 work. Work, work. You don't gotta go to work, 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 work. Let my body do thee. Work, 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 work. We can work from home. Oh, 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 oh. We can work from home. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, Shakespearean. So, a couple of quick social commentary pieces on this. This group is considered feminist. Why? Why? I thought that women were all about empowerment. I thought it, it's funny how empowerment went from. So, so here was the cycle. The cycle went from, like, mad men. Men could nail anybody in the office if she was a woman, right? You could sexually harass women. You could be terrible to women. You could treat them completely like sex objects, not as individual human beings, right? This is the feminist view of history. It, that was how it used to be. Then feminists came along and they said, well, men can be pigs. Perhaps we should also be able to be pigs. And then they also started acting badly. And now we've come full circle to the point where women are liberated if they are submitting themselves to men. Because that's what this song is. It's all about submission. 
right? It's all about, I need you home. I need you here. I'm going to send you hot pictures of myself and you can do whatever you want to me. It seems to me the guys from Mad Men would have been quite pleased with this situation. We could have skipped the last 40 years of history. I mean, she's at home and she's waiting for him to get home so he can nail her. I mean, really, like this, we could have just skipped this whole like last 40 years of sexual revolution stuff and just stuck around with 1950s. And ladies, by the way, then he would have married you, right? In the 50s, he would have married you. Now he doesn't even marry you. Now he comes home, he stoops you, and he finds some other lady the next night. It is amazing, but this is considered feminist material. And if you say anything differently, if you say this isn't feminist, that makes you a sexist. If you say that you don't think that it is empowering for women to dance around in scantily, in, in scantily clad, in tiny little clothing, shaking their rears in sexual ways in front of a bunch of sweaty, muscly dudes on a construction site, then you're anti-feminist. I'm old enough to remember when five minutes ago, the definition of textbook sexism was a woman walking past a construction site and a man whistling at them. You remember that? Remember that? This was always the example. The example is a woman walked down the street and a man went... Whew, and women, oh my God, how dare you? It was the end of the world. And number one, that was stupid. Who cares? But second of all, the, the second of all, these now they're actually seeking it right now. That but it's different because they because they want it. So if they want it, then it's now a feminist thing. There's only one thing feminists can't abide. There's only one thing feminists can't abide that if women want it, they can't have it. And that is, if a woman wants to get married, have kids, and stay home. If a woman wants to get married, have kids, and stay home, then that is not a feminist decision. That is a sellout decision. That is her submitting to a man. It's not submitting to a man. By the way, it just demonstrates how backwards modern feminism has become third wave fem second third wave feminism. It demonstrates how, how perverse it's become. Original feminism was the idea women should work. Got it. Fine. Then there was second wave feminism. Men are pigs. Women should act like pigs also. Third wave feminism is men are pigs. Women should act like pigs. But men should not be able to act like pigs anymore. No one should act like a Like, we're the only ones who can act like pigs. What's, what's incredible about all of this, what's amazing about all of this, is that is it really making women happier? I mean, really, are, are women happier now? By polling, the answer is no. By polling, the answer is no. Because nothing is expected of men. The, the idea is that, that you know, men shouldn't act like pigs, but really men can sort of act like pigs because women aren't held to, women aren't held to a standard, men aren't held to a standard, nobody has a standard anymore. Um, I, the, fi final note on this, final note on this, because... I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. All the tropes of sexism have now been reversed, but they actually are just what they always were. Right? All the tropes of sexism have been reversed. It's bad for a man to whistle at a woman in a, in, a, in a construction yard, but if the woman shows up in a bikini and wants to nail the guy on the job, then that's totally, that's totally harmless, and it's pro-female. It's pro-female. And by the way, these sorts of videos won't cause men in construction yards to whistle at women. Right, right. Final, final note. I don't like the perversion of language. I'm just not a fan of it. So one of the perversions of language that has come about in the last year, I, I didn't know this before, how long has work been a synonym for have sex? This seems like a relatively recent development. It's like a year. Yeah, it's like the last couple of years, right? It wasn't, wasn't like, it, like they, when, when they said that a woman would work it, it meant like she would dance, right? But now it means like actually have sex with somebody, right? I'm going to work, work, work. You know, you got Rihanna who's going to work, 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 work with an E. I don't understand why it's spelled with an E. I mean, whatever. Uh, but now, now it's... It, Okay, work is not sex, and sex is, sex is not work. If, you're, if sex is work to you, you're doing it wrong. Okay, so this, this idea that work is now sex, you got to work it. it. It is the devolution of sex into just another physical commodity. Really, that's really what it is. Andrew Clavin makes a great point. He doesn't make many of them, but this is a great point. You should check out Clavin's podcast. It's really good. Um, but he makes, a, he makes a great point about the difference between consensual sex and rape. What he says is the physical act in rape is exactly the same as that in consensual sex. The difference is consent. The difference is the woman's soul is being violated because she doesn't want it in one case, and in one case she's involved in the act. Okay, sex used to be inherently connected to a certain level of love, tenderness, and spirituality. Now it's become, in common parlance, work. Right, just like going to the bathroom is work, just like eating is work. It's not, something that, that it's not something pleasurable, it's now work. It's gritty, it's grindy. Okay, I understand that once, once you've violated every taboo, I guess sex becomes work. But sex shouldn't be work. Romance shouldn't be work. But I guess that's what it's become in, in common parlance. I'm looking forward to the point where they actually go all the way full circle and they say that sex is slavery, but it's good slavery because you consented in it. The, the left has no standards, and the left has no standards when it comes to language or romance or sex or decency. And what you end up with is this kind of stuff. And this isn't even the most egregious kind of stuff. It's just mostly silly. It's just mostly silly. Uh, but it is telling that this, this sort of thing is now considered feminist. It's feminist when Beyonce saunters onto stage shaking her booty. 
It's not feminist when my wife has two children and is a doctor. Right? That's not feminist because she chose to have kids and get married before she did so. Okay, we will be back tomorrow with the latest cultural idiocies and, uh, and more, I'm sure, from the presidential race. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.